you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. That's where we're going to be today, Matthew 6. And just want to let you know ahead of time, I'm not going to ask you to take your shoes off today in this service, so you're okay there. Um, Go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, though. It's Oscar season. I didn't know that until last week, and a headline popped up on my podcast feed. I'm pretty out of the loop with movies these days. But it's Oscar season, and one of the biggest awards you can get at the Oscars is Best Actor or Best Actress. It's a pretty prestigious honor, and it's given to the person who does the best job performing in a leading role. They do such a good job that maybe for a minute while you're watching a movie, you forget that it's even a movie because it feels so real. Well, there were actors in Jesus' day long before directors and movie sets and cinematography. And these actors, they used religion and spirituality as their theater. And these actors did an incredible job of convincing people that what they were doing was real. And everybody was impressed, except for Jesus. Jesus was not impressed. In fact, Jesus' harshest words that he ever spoke were to people who used spirituality as a means of performing for other people. Jesus, he called those people whitewashed tombs, which think about that image for a moment. You look clean and tidy on the outside, but on the inside you're full of rotting flesh and Horrible smells and death and decay. I doubt they were like, yay, we got called whitewashed tombs by Jesus. Jesus, in a different place, he, he said to them that Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, he was right when Isaiah said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Talking to these people, he says, you honor me, you honor God with your lips, your hearts are far from me. I love in this passage in Matthew 15, right after Jesus says this, the disciples, they come to him privately and they say, Jesus, did you know that you offended the Pharisees when you said that? I think that is so funny. This verse for me is one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible. And I'll tell you why this is so scary for me because I honor, at least I hope, (laughs) that I honor Jesus with my lips kind of my job, you know, I, I, I'm up here and I talk about the Bible and, and God and, and Jesus. I honor Jesus with my lips. But according to God, honoring Jesus with your lips is no indicator of the proximity of your heart to Jesus. There is not necessarily a correlation. And that is chilling to think about. Now, I want to tell you this morning, this right here is the greatest threat to your spiritual life. I believe that. It's not a lack of biblical knowledge or theology. It's not laziness. It's not fear. The greatest threat to your spiritual life is a distant heart from God. And not to be too dramatic, but, but I believe the enemy of your soul, this is exactly what he's trying to do. Trying to cut you off from Jesus. 
again, the, part of what makes this scary is sometimes we don't even know that it's happening. So how can we, as followers of Christ, cultivate hearts that are close to God and not far away? And the answer is practically, one of the answers is we engage in practices or spiritual disciplines that help cultivate hearts that remain close to God. And, and, and Jesus, he addresses two of those spiritual practices or disciplines in the text we're going to look at today. And what we're going to see is these practices are so important. They were to Jesus, they ought to be to us, but the way we engage them is incredibly important as well. Now, in, in Matthew 6, verse 5, he says this. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And that's the, the Greek word for actor. It's from the world of Greek drama. It wasn't necessarily a negative word, although Jesus is using it in a negative way here. He says, Don't be like those actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. So a little context here. If you were a devout Jew in the first century, you prayed at least three times a day. In the morning, in the afternoon at 3 p.m., and in the evening. And the synagogue was not just the place of worship that you'd go to once a week. The synagogue, think about it like a center of community life. It was an extremely public place. Obviously, street corners just as they are today, they were busy places. And so what was happening, it, it, these people, these actors, these hypocrites, what they were doing is they were making sure that right at 3 p.m., they just happened to be in the synagogue or on the street corner. Like, oh, I had no idea, but it's 3 p.m. And then they would lift their hands and they would pray. And everybody around them would be like, wow, look at those People, they are serious about praying to God. And Jesus says, the issue is not their location. Don't miss it. The issue is the location of their heart. Because he says this, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. That is the motive of their heart. Now, it's, it's easy to bash the Pharisees, isn't it? Don't you feel, I mean, you read this and you think, oh my gosh, I would never, I would never do that. How many, though, how many of us have ever engaged religious behavior, not out of love for God, but to manage what other people think of us? John Ortberg has a great phrase for that. He calls it impression management. How many of you have ever gone to church, read the Bible, prayed privately or prayed out loud, not out of love for God, but out of impression management? I know I have. And Jesus is very clear that when we engage religious behavior from that place, here's what's true. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The hypocrites, they wanted the applause of people and they got it. 
The Oscar goes to the most spiritual person among us goes to and then the applause fades and the people leave and there's nothing left to receive. Jesus says that's it. They got what they wanted. Now, what's the alternative for us? Well, he goes on and he says this, but when you pray, and the you here is in the emphatic, which Jesus is saying, unlike those hypocrites, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, that word room, it implies a inner storage room in a house. This is the most inner part of the house. No windows, one door in and out. This was the least visible of all the rooms. And that's clearly Jesus is drawing a contrast between the most public place people could think about, which was synagogue or busy street corners, and the most private place that people had access to, their inner room. And he says, you go there when you pray. Now, is, is Jesus saying that we are never to pray in public? I sure hope not. Or I'm in trouble. I'm, you know, me and all the other pastors, I'm in, today, you know, I, I already prayed out loud. I don't think Jesus is saying that. Jesus himself, he prayed publicly at Lazarus' tomb and the upper room and other occasions. Gatherings of believers, both Old Testament and New, New Testament, include public prayer, and in fact, in 1 Corinthians, it's commanded. So what's this about then? Jesus is not giving a law, okay, when he says, go to your inner room. What Jesus is doing, just like he was doing in the previous verses of Matthew 6, he is addressing the motive of the heart. Why were the religious leaders praying? Why were the hypocrites praying? To perform for people. That's why. And Jesus is saying, no, my followers pray for a fundamentally different purpose. Now, what is that purpose? To put it simply, why are we to pray? I think the easiest explanation would be to say, we pray to be with God. To be with God interesting in this text Jesus he says go to your father who is in secret who is unseen or in secret what does that mean what does it mean does it mean that God is a secret God does it mean that God is playing hide and seek and he's in your closet and you go he's like oh you found me I think the translation of the New Jerusalem Bible helps us here. It says, but when you pray, go to your private room, shut yourself in, and so pray to your Father who is in that secret place. That's the idea. The, the idea here is when you go into your inner room, God's there. And it's not that God is more present in that place. It's that you are more present to God in that place. You see, there's a sense in which where your attention on God is, 
is where you'll find him. And, and here's what's true. It is much more difficult in a crowded synagogue with people around you to have your attention be on God. Why? Because it's on impression management, how you're coming across. You know, I would lie to you guys if I didn't say there's at least some part of me that when I'm up here praying, teaching, that I'm thinking about how I come across. It's human. But when you are alone, whether it's in your literal storage closet or on a hike or on your porch in the morning with a cup of coffee, that is when you can be more present to God. You can have your attention on him. You see, God is everywhere. God is always present every moment of your life. But there's this moment when we go into that secret place where we, we, we stop and we say, God, you're here. God, you've always been here, but now I'm here. And God, I haven't been here. God, I have been on social media. God, I have been checking my phone. God, I've been putting out fires at work. God, I've been with my kids. God, I've been running errands. But now I'm here, and you're here, and I'm here with you. And when we make a practice of doing that, of seeking God in that way and in that place, there's a reward. Look at what Jesus says. He says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, what's the reward? It's not a pile of cash or a guarantee of material blessing. The reward is not the answer to your prayers. God is not some cosmic vending machine that you, you push all the right buttons and then out comes the result. You can't manipulate God with spiritual disciplines. So what's the reward? I believe, looking at this text this week, the reward is God himself. God is the reward. Because when you truly seek God, you find him. And he is better than any blessing you could ever get. Listen, what, what you and I, what we need most, not necessarily what we want, but what we need most is a deeper experience of God himself. That's what we need. And that, by the way, at a basic level, is the difference between these two ways of praying. One way, the first way, is praying to God to get stuff. In the Pharisees' case, it was to get the approval of other people. But you can pray to God to get other stuff. The other way of praying, what Jesus tells us to do, it's praying to God to get God. That's the goal. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to ask God for things. We do. I mean, we're commanded, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. But God himself is the reward. And you and I will spend eternity figuring that out more and more. Now, I want you to skip down to verse 16. Next week, we're going to come back and address the verses before that, which are, are the Lord's Prayer. But since what Jesus says about this next practice so tightly mirrors what he says about prayer, we're going to talk about it Today, Jesus, he says in verse 16, when you fast, 
Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, there's three practices in Matthew 6, 1 to 18. It's a unit. There's three practices that Jesus addresses. Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. And for most of us, we read those, and the first two make sense, but the third one feels way out of left field, doesn't it? I mean, would anybody say fasting is a top three spiritual practice for you? But for Jesus, for, for Israel at that time, for all Israelites who loved God, followed God, and for Jesus himself, fasting was a deeply important and meaningful practice. Now, what is fasting? We need a little theology here. Fasting is not the same thing as abstinence. It's not, you know what, I'm going to take a break from alcohol or from soft drinks or social media. It's not abstinence. Fasting is not a diet. It's not, I'm going to lay off dairy or bread. Those are not bad things. They're just not the biblical practice of fasting. Fasting is denial of something, typically food, for the sake of spiritual focus or spiritual activity, such as prayer. Denial of something, but it's for a specific purpose, spiritual activity or, or, or focus. And people throughout the Bible, they fast for different reasons. Sometimes it's a response to the brokenness in our world. A king dies and Israel grieves and they fast. It's an expression of grief. Sometimes people fast in the Bible as a response to sin. They're convicted over their sin Every year on the Day of Atonement, Israel would fast, the whole nation, and it was an expression of repentance to God. One of the primary reasons people fast in the Bible is to express dependence on God. This is Esther before she goes before the king. This is Paul and Barnabas before they choose elders. This is Jesus before he began his public ministry. Fasting is a way of saying, God, I recognize you are all that I need. And I am expressing that with my body in a physical way. That's what fasting is. It's praying with your body, which again feels weird to us because of our culture and how we've separated the body from the rest of the spiritual life. Fasting is also a way, it's not only an expression of dependence, it's a way of cultivating dependence. And I think we need to hear this. Fasting is a way of saying, God, I want to hunger and thirst for you more. And so, God, I am putting my body in the condition I want my heart to be in. Does that make sense? Fasting is a way of cultivating a deeper dependence on God. And that's why I see value in this practice. Now, my guess is very few of us do this. Um, you might even be weirded out by it. You, you might even think, fasting? This sounds kind of cultish, Matt. We, we just need to understand that when we feel that way, we're in the minority. Because the vast majority of Christians for the past 2,000 years have engaged this practice. It stopped here in the West around the 17 or 1800s, but the first 17 or 1800s, most Christians fasted. Not to earn God's favor, but again, as a practice spiritually. And Jesus, he expected we would. He, he says, when you fast, not if. Now, what was happening with fasting in Jesus' day? Well, 
if you were a devout Jew, certainly if you were a religious leader, you fasted twice a week, Monday and Thursday, from dawn to sunset, twice a week. And these religious leaders, these hypocrites, these actors, what they were doing is they were intentionally making their appearance look gloomy and disheveled so that it was very clear and obvious to everybody around them, man, those guys are fasting. Look how miserable they are. That's what's going on here. And Jesus, he says, no, my followers do not do that. What does Jesus say? He says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So unlike the religious leaders, what Jesus is saying here, and this is just important to understand with fasting, Jesus, he's saying, your goal is not to draw attention to yourself. Your goal in fasting is to draw your attention to God. And so when you do this, wash your face and put oil on your head, which is a a cultural thing for us to be, hey, brush your teeth and uh, put product in your hair and shave. And if you wear makeup, normally do it. Why? Because you're doing it for God. You're not performing for someone else. It's for God. And when God sees, Jesus is clear, he will reward us. Now, I want to step back from these two practices for a moment and and summarize what Jesus is saying because it's similar with both of these. You see, prayer and fasting were these practices that had been twisted into something that Jesus, that God never meant for them to be. But Jesus, he doesn't throw them out and neither should we. Rather, Jesus clarifies the point. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, prayer and fasting are not for public performance, but private practice. That's what this text is telling us. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying, again, don't ever pray in public. I do think, based on this, for those who who do pray in public and do spiritual things publicly, it ought to always be an overflow of your private life with God. So in other words, if 75% of my prayer life is here at GFC on a stage, that's a major problem. Because it ought to be an overflow of our private life with God. But whether your praying and your fasting is public or private, it should never be for performance. That's the big thing you need to hear here. That, that when we mix spirituality and performance, it results in toxicity. Whenever you mix spirituality with performing, whether that's performing for people or performing with, to God, the result is toxic and it is not the way of Jesus. So to help us move towards applying these practices, specifically prayer, into our lives. How do we, how do we apply this? So I want to give, give you three words that can help us flesh out this practice and integrate it into our lives. And I want to focus more on prayer, but I think these three words apply to both. So for us today, when it comes to our practice of prayer, our practice of fasting, the first word is regular. Our practice of praying ought to be 
regular, Jesus, he says in verse six, but when you pray, again, he assumes that we will. And not once, but regularly, that that we'll make a habit of it. And this is what Jesus models. I wanna show you just one example, Luke chapter five. We're told that the news about him, about Jesus spread all the more, crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was his regular practice. And I think this is why, by the way, a few chapters later in Luke, the disciples, they say to Jesus, they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And it's interesting, the disciples, they never say, Jesus, teach us to cast out demons. Jesus, teach us to preach great sermons. Jesus, teach us to be generous with our resources. They never say that. Why do they say, teach us to pray? I I think that it's because from their experience of walking with Jesus and observing Jesus, they saw that Jesus centered his whole life around an active connection with his heavenly father through praying. And they knew as his followers that if they were gonna be like their rabbi, they had to do the same. Teach us to, to pray. See, Jesus invites us into that same pattern of regularly, not not just once a day even, but regularly abiding with God as we live our lives. Now, the second word for our practice of prayer is this, it's intentional. Our practice, regular and, and also intentional. Notice Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Notice the effort that this requires. Jesus, he, he doesn't say, but when you pray, just lift your eyes to the heavens and go for it. There is intentionality here. This is something that we have to do. We have to create, in a sense, this secret space to commune with God. You gotta be intentional. And I think for us now, today, we have to be more intentional than ever. There's this strange phenomenon about 10 years ago. Most of you will remember this. About 10 years ago, there was this thing called boredom. And it was really, it was weird. It's like you, you would be in the doctor's office, like in the waiting room or on an airplane, waiting in line at the grocery store. Do y'all remember this? You remember this? And you had nothing to do. You had nothing to do. And those moments... For followers of Jesus, if, if we let them, they were invitations to talk to our Heavenly Father. But now, there are a thousand distractions waiting on you in your pocket, on your smartphone. And I am not anti-technology. But, but you and I, we have so many distractions readily available and even pressing in on us. And here's what's also true. There is a multi-billion dollar industry that their, their one goal is, is trying to capitalize off of your attention. And so now, if we are going to have a deep life of prayer, we have got to be more intentional than ever. And it may look like doing exactly what Jesus says. You go into your storage closet and you leave your phone. Um, but maybe it looks like other behaviors. Maybe it's, 
You know, you put your kid, just like you put your kids to bed early, you put your phone to bed early, or you leave it on the bedside whenever you wake up in the morning. Maybe it looks like scheduling time on your calendar, setting alarms, reminders for you. Maybe for, for some of us, it looks like saying no to some things so that you actually have the margin in the brain space to engage this practice. What does that look like for you? I know this. You're not going to accidentally become a really prayerful person. Neither am I. It's something we've got to cultivate by God's grace and through his spirit. And to do that, we've got to be intentional. So we want our practice to be regular, to be intentional. And then third, the third word I want to give you is imperfect. Imperfect. Our practice should be regular, intentional, and imperfect. And this is a really important idea. Because if I was to ask, if I were to ask you today, how are you doing at prayer on a scale of one to 10? What would you say? Here's my, my hunch is that most of us would say, I'm a two or a three. Uh, most of us don't feel like we're good at it. And for those of you who are eights or nines or tens, you should be up here teaching instead of me because I don't feel like I'm good at it. You know, I, I set one goal this year. I don't set a lot of goals, but 2023, and it, the, my one goal was to, to cultivate some different rhythms into my life of praying, and it's been so hard for me to do that consistently. I struggle here. And the fact that praying does not come easy and we feel clumsy doing it and, and we don't feel like we're good at it, it makes us prone to give up. And this is why the concept of prayer as a practice is so helpful. You, you might prefer the word discipline, spiritual discipline. I prefer the word practice because it implies that the one doing it is imperfect. That you're not perfect, that's why you need this practice. And again, the way to grow or improve, think about anything else, learning the piano, learning a foreign language, it's through what? It's practice. You're not gonna become more devoted to prayer by reading a book, but by doing it and leaning in, even though you feel clumsy. And another reason I, I love the idea of practice is the only way to fail at practice is to not do it. I mean, just to enter into practicing anything, that's, that's a win. And, and, and here is where your view, my view of God is so essential. God is not annoyed at your lack of focus when you pray. Let me say that again. God's not annoyed that you can't focus when you pray. How many of you have had to teach people, in the past few years, you've had to teach people, give instruction over Zoom? Anybody? And some of you, you still do. And I feel for you. I mean, I, I did a little bit. I talked to my brother who's a professor at a university, and here's what would happen. He would teach, and his students would not share their screen, and they would just take a nap, you know, or eat lunch. And even when they would share their screen, many of his students, what they were doing is, they weren't there. I mean, they're, they're checking email, social media, playing video games. And I wonder, when I think about my prayer life, I wonder if the way that a teacher 
looks at his students is the way God looks at me. Like, come on. You know, it's like if God has me up on his computer screen and he's watching me, here's what's happening. It's like I focus for a minute and then I pull out my phone and I start checking my phone. And then I, I focus for another 30 seconds and I'm like, how the, you know, I gotta check the scores of the sports team and I'm checking that. And then I'm like, oh, I'm sleepy and I lose focus and then I'm, I'm hungry. And then what's going on over here? And I forgot about this and squirrel. And, you know, I look somewhere else and it's just constant. Here's what Jesus is saying about God. This is so important that you understand this. That, that the God of the Bible, your heavenly Father, is good and patient and kind. And rather than being annoyed that you can't focus, he is just thrilled that you logged onto the Zoom call in the first place. That you're there. See, our view of God is so crucial. Let me say something, and if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. God doesn't want perfection. He wants you. That's what he wants. And never forget, for for those of us who do struggle in our prayer life, never forget the first words to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual zeros Blessed are those who are bankrupt spiritually. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual. You know, if if you're here today and you feel like you're poor at being spiritual, you're bad at praying, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you're exactly the kind of person that I want to follow me. And not only is yours the kingdom, yours is the invitation. That's what this is. It's an invitation to bring your imperfect self into this practice of prayer. Because that's who God wants. That's who God wants. So how do we apply this? Um, I want to give you a statement to kind of pull this together for us today. The, The way we apply this is we make a practice of regular, intentional, imperfect times with God. What would that look like for you? To make a practice of regular, intentional, imperfect times with God, where you maybe set a timer on your phone for 10 minutes and you put it in airplane mode or in the other room and you just be in the presence of God. What would that look like for you? And and, and those of you who do this more Frequently, I mean, you know, maybe you do this every day and you spend time being with God. My encouragement to you would be do this three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, and cultivate, again, cultivate a heart that loves to be close with your heavenly Father. Never forget the why behind this practice. We do not pray to impress other people to put a smile on God's face and make him love us more. We don't pray to be a good Christian. We pray to be with God and to cultivate the kind of heart and life that lives close to him and close to Jesus. And we got to end here. You and I, we will not do this practice. We will not do this unless we know and trust the heart of God. We've been talking about our hearts a lot today. What's God's heart? What's God's heart for you? 
the highlight of my month was a few weeks ago, Katie took our oldest two kids to Nashville, and I, I had our youngest buy, it was just me and him for the whole weekend. And he had a baseball evaluation tryout on Saturday night, and we went, and, and he did a great job. And then afterwards, I said, I said, hey, buddy, where do you want to go to celebrate? Where do you want to go eat? And he said, Dad, I want to go to Mid-City Grill. And I've never been so proud in my life. <laughs> and so we went to Mid-City about 8 p.m. and ate greasy burgers together. It was amazing. But what was amazing about it was the time with him. Our food took forever. But it was fine because we were playing paper football with a packet of Sweet and Low. And I crushed him, you know. I, um, but at one point, I, remember I flicked the, the packet, went over his shoulder, and he had to go out and grab it off the floor. And he, he ran back, and he was being silly. And he said, Dad, you're ruining my social life. And I just got such a kick out of that. Listen, I am a far from perfect father. But I love my kids. And I know you do too. And I want you to know that my love, that your love for your children is a dim hint of God's love for you. And this is why, this is why it would be so unfortunate for you to not cultivate this rhythm and practice of being with God because God loves you more than you can imagine. Will you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you love us and that your posture towards us when it comes to these spiritual practices, Lord, it's not angry or condemning. Lord, these are an invitation to grow and to move closer to you. So God, would you help us know how to respond today? How to put what we're hearing into practice. God, show us. And may we be a people who are marked by intimacy, by abiding and fellowship with Jesus. May that be true. So God, help us. And we respond to you now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.